scripture this morning is from Luke and John. In Luke 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, and who, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, there is only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. In John, it says, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Thank you, Krista. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that you'd open our ears, and that you'd open our minds to your word, to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, thank you for these stories and these people, uh, of people who I, I long to sit with and ask, what was it like to sit with Jesus? I thank you as we wade into uh, this new year and into these subjects of money and wealth, you are here with us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 2020, as you might be imagine, is being called a year of vision, 2020. But actually, I think it is a year of vision. It's when we see in new ways, then we see in, then we can live in a new way. Two, 2020 might be a new year because it's a new you. Not because of resolutions or efforts, but because of who God is and who he says we are. So last week, we waded into the subjects of money and wealth, and we said that our finances are, are just one area that God has designed and desires for us to be in relationship with him in. Like every other area of our life, God wants to have conversations with us, wants to be a part of our lives in it. And so last Sunday, we specifically looked at how the Bible gives us a framework of now, then, us, them. How we go from just getting by, meeting our immediate needs, to graciously giving, not only in what we need, but to our neighborhood and our world. 
And, and God's ways of handling money work. They do. And yet, prosperity can lead us down the wrong path. And wealth does raise important questions. I don't know if you watch the uh, greatest of all time, Jeopardy. I'm a little bit of a nerd, I, I admit it. But um, these guys, they happen to be guys. These three guys have won in multiple ways. And so they were interviewing Ken, Ken Jennings, the guy who won, I don't know, 74 weeks in a row or some crazy thing, had won $2.5 million dollars on Jeopardy. Even though he's a software engineer, and I think he was doing pretty well, he quit his job and started becoming a writer. But it was interesting. He said, I'm grateful to Jeopardy because it's given me the opportunity to do what I'm doing now. Not super weird. You want super weird. You know, you find someone who gets suddenly rich, and then they do, like Dave Ramsey says, they do weird on steroids. Or my favorite quote of his, I think, last week was, the NFL stands for not for long. Um, and, and yet, I'm amazed at some of the people in the NFL that generously give their time and their money. But it's really, it's really a toss-up about if you get wealth, will you become a crazy person? Or even worse, will your kids become crazy. Like, I don't know if you watch Keeping Up with the Jacobsons, but I don't want a reality show like that. And I was just in a conversation this week with one of my kids, and it was, sometimes we say no, not because we can't afford it, but because we can, and we still choose not to. That's a much harder conversation to have. And then, let alone with uh, those questions about how you don't become a crazy person, how your, well, your kids don't become crazy, then you just have people that think that wealth is evil, that, that criticize those that have it. So I did some research. Um, there's some global wealth research websites. I also went to CNBC's Make It and InvestOBD.com, and I have to tell you that if you're sitting in this room, there's a very good chance that you are wealthy. Uh, and, and thus, maybe you are evil, or I'm evil. But actually, looked up the net worth. Net worth is your money, um, all of your money, and your assets, and minus your debt equals your net worth. I think that's pretty close, okay? If you have $93,170, then you are among the world's wealthiest people, top 10%. You don't even have to hit six figures to be in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. And Credit Suisse reports that more than 19 million Americans are in the 1% worldwide. Now, maybe you have a sign, maybe you've seen the signs like, you're a one percenter, or what about the 99? Well, you might not think you're a one percenter, I didn't think I was, but if you make over $32,000 a year, $32,400 in 2018, you are among the top 1% of income earners in the world. $32,000 income earners. And if you make just $11,000 a year, which is well below the U.S. poverty threshold, you're still in the top 10%. If wealth is evil, then we have a problem. And you might say, well, the United States is a lot, it's a lot more expensive to live in the United States. That's where my mind went. 
You know, if we weren't comparing to the rest of the world, it wouldn't be that low. You're right, it wouldn't. But think about it. If you have a car, a cell phone, a computer, a television, by the, and, and, and just one of each, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, you're wealthy. In fact, there are places, all, there are hundreds of places around the world where if you said that, the people would not even be able to comprehend that kind of wealth. So if wealth is evil, we do have a problem. But I think there's hope. So Robert Morris wrote an incredible book on giving and generosity. It's called The Blessed Life. And he says that there are spirits in the world that twist what God says about money and wealth, especially in the country we live in. And we're going to look at these three spirits that he talks about in his book from the Bible's perspective. Two are unhealthy and and can even trip up Christ followers in what God says. And then one represents, I think, an appropriate response to what God has given us. Each of these spirits can actually be seen in the characters that we looked at in those readings. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus are in a few stories in the Bible. We looked at two out of the three. The first spirit is the spirit of pride. It's represented by Martha the first time we meet her. The spirit of pride says wealth comes from hard work. Pride says it's all about me and what I've accomplished, and what I have is what I've earned. Pride says your hard work and your talent made all of it happen, and you should be proud of it. Now, I believe that Luke shared this story for much more than just what we're looking at in this moment, but I think it's so easy for us to get sucked into the pride, spirit of pride, that we've got to look from this little sliver of perspective. So Jesus is with his disciples, his students, and he comes to this village. He came along the way, and he, it says Martha opened their home, her home to them. Martha's always listed first. We think that she's the oldest. And in every translation, or at least the seven that I looked at, it says Martha opened her home. Not their home, not her brother's home, her home. It was a big deal that the woman owned the home. It it did happen. It just didn't happen very often in that time. And I think it's also a big deal that the Son of God is coming into your house right? Like, my wife, we'll just be honest, she's the manager of our house. Like, I'm the silent CEO, but she's the manager and the, the, the director. And my parents were in town and stayed with us. My sister and her family came. They're special, but they're not divine. And we were all on cleaning duty. We might have pets, but that doesn't mean people have to see and smell them. I want all of that hair picked up. We, you know, you're on the roller, you're on the vacuum, let's get these cleaned up. I mean, it was... Go time. And it says, that's all I'm going to say about my wife. It says that Martha was distracted by all of the preparations. And the text alludes to Martha not just being a good Minnesotan and making a hot dish, don't you know, but like a multi-course meal. She's doing the dusting. She's doing the cleaning. She's probably pulling out the fancy china, the cloth napkins, and maybe the really good wine. And what we don't know is if she was emotional or angry. 
exhausted or just frustrated. But what we do know is she came up to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, if you were talking to me after service and being like, I think you stretched that. Okay, we don't know exactly that Martha had the spirit of pride. But we do know that she was busy with the housework when the Son of God was sitting in her living room. And she's getting busy with the cleaning. I'd call that performance-driven. I know, because I was performance-driven. I can still have performance-driven tendencies. Martha and I are a lot alike. When I was teaching high school, I remember after receiving, I'll just be honest, a really, really good review. I asked my principal, how does this review affect my salary? And he kind of looked at me quizzically, and he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, do we have merit-based increases? Is there a sliding scale for raises or anything? And he just kind of chuckled like, oh, little Padawan, you have no idea. (laughs) And he said, no, 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 the union negotiates your salary, and then you get this amount based on your years of service and any continuing ad. Now, I'm not making a cut on teaching and the education system, but I was like, so everyone is the same. Doesn't matter if I'm awesome at it or if I'm not. Well, kind of. I don't like that. I like performance-driven. I like sports where you get this time and then you get to be this rank on the team. You like run this fast, you make varsity. You don't run that fast, you make junior varsity. And I was junior varsity for a long time. You do this grade, you you do this work, you get this grade, you do this better, you get this better grade. I know that system. I just didn't realize how much it had crept over into my relationship with God. Oh, you do this? Then God loves you. You do this better? God loves you more. You don't do this. Oh, God loves you less. That's the scary part of this. Maybe you're performance-driven. Performance-driven, or the people who have a spirit of pride, they like verses like 2 Thessalonians 3. The one who is unwilling to work should not eat. Or Proverbs 10, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Or Matthew 25, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. People who have pride like those. What I think is really important is, like Martha, if we have the spirit of pride, we can get distracted. We can, we can miss something that's so important that God wants to give us, that he wants to show us because we're worrying about what we do. I mean, I, if you're listening online, uh, there's just a really cool 80s song that came on in the ringtone, and I just have a deep appreciation for 80s music. So... Ah, I think that's maybe what Jesus did. No, he said, Martha, Martha. I think when he said it twice, it was like, Martha, calm down. Calm down and consider what's really important. 
You're worried and distracted about all these things, but really just a few are needed. In fact, only one. Mary has chosen the good part. In Hebrew, that's Mary has chosen the tov, the thing that is life, that brings life, that brings life. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary is saying, I want to be your disciple, Jesus. You might have to only pick 12 men for part of fulfilling the Messiah role, but I'm going to sit at your feet because I'm going to be one of your students. That's what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what Mary was picking, and Martha missed it this, this time. I think we resist and avoid a spirit of pride by acknowledging that all we have is not ours. It is from God. I have to remember that God doesn't play favorites. James says that God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith. So if I'm favoring people, I am in the wrong. And Jesus says that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. I'm learning to live by grace instead of being driven by performance. And like Martha... If you have the spirit of pride, maybe you need to slow down and learn to sit at the feet of Jesus too. So that's the first spirit, spirit of pride. Second spirit works from the opposite end of the spectrum, and it is the spirit of poverty, and it's represented by Judas. Now, this disciple, Judas, was the disciple that was the financial officer of the group. He was the one in charge of the money. And when Mary took expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet, Judas was the one who objected, saying, why wasn't this money or perfume sold and the money given to the poor? The spirit of poverty isn't just affecting people that are poor. The spirit of poverty can affect those that have wealth as well. The spirit of poverty says that money is evil and should be avoided at all costs. Poverty makes us feel ashamed for what we have and feel guilty for getting any wealth, even if we do it the right way. Maybe you've thought or heard someone else say or even said yourself, a real Christian would not have something that expensive. Poverty makes us justify our purchases and our possessions. If you've thought, Oh, do I really need that nice of a house? Think about all the children that I could sponsor through Compassion International or World Vision. Think about the wells that I could dig in Honduras or in the Congo or in the Sudan. That's a spirit of poverty. See, after I was a math teacher, I was a youth pastor. And I'd been shedding the performance-driven for a while I just didn't realize how quickly the spirit of poverty would creep in, almost ninja-like. So I was, I was young in my ministry, and one of my student ministry volunteers took me out uh, right before Christmas. We had lunch. I just wanted to hear how, how it was going and how he was enjoying the ministry where we was seeing God work, and he wanted to treat me to lunch. And so I was like, sure, I'll do that. That'll be great, because I, um, I was married, but I didn't have any kids, And I didn't have a house, I didn't have a lot of debt, but I also didn't have a lot of money. And so I'm like, sure, you can take me out for lunch. And and he did. After lunch, though, he took me to one of those big box electronic stores. They might have blue and yellow in the logo, but um, 
he said, hey, um, I hear these digital music players are really hot, so, um, and I know you like music, so I'd like you to pick out one you like. So he took me to this little aisle, and I looked at these little, you know, plastic things, iPods or some crazy thing like that. Nobody had ever heard of them. Um, I think it was the first Christmas they were out. And so I, I picked one that was this little white stick. It was about the size of a pack of gum. It had a little nickel-sized button on it. It was called the shuffle. And he looked at me, and he goes, is that really the one you want? And I'm like, ah, oh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, sure, thank you. He's like, really? There's no display. It's not very big. In fact, it's the cheapest one. And then he looked even deeper at me. He said, Rob, I have a really good job. I get a bonus every year. I want to take some of that bonus and give you a really nice gift. Will you let me? So I picked out a more expensive one that had a display and a case and headphones, and I tried really hard not to feel guilty about it. I was trapped in a spirit of poverty. Several years later, I was still a youth pastor. Now I have a house. I have kids. And uh, I have debt. I have a house payment. We have one car payment. We're trying to get rid of the car payment. We don't have another car payment. We have a used car, and my wife drives the used car to work, and it gets totaled in a hailstorm. And it was like eight years old, and um, it was really nice to us, but when we got the insurance check, it was not going to cover the remain. Like, we couldn't buy the same car. I mean, this is just how it works. So, we were like, okay, we either have to go 20 or 30 or 40,000 more miles, or we have to go one or two or three or four years older. Like, this is really hard. And my wife's parents were asking us about this predicament, and we, we shared it with them. And they said, well, you know, our car is nine years old. Um, it's got almost 90,000 miles, so we're looking at trading it in in six to 12 months. And we're not sure if the dealer's going to give us a very good price for it. How about we sell you our nine-year-old car for the price of your insurance check? It was a very generous offer, and we were very grateful. So we got the car, nine and a half years old, 90,000 miles, but it was not just, you know, a Christian brand, because, you know, there, there are certain brands that are Christian, and then there are certain brands that are like, oh, I don't know if that's Christian, like, you know this, right? You drive down the road and you're like, oh, that, 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 that I'm praying for that person. We're not sure if that car is going to make it. But then you look at some other cars and you're like, ooh, hmm, they must go to the prosperity churches because that is a really nice, because it was, it was an upscale brand. And my, my in-laws take really good care of cars. You didn't, it didn't look like it was nine and a half years old. But my point is, I drove to church a couple weeks later, the church I was a youth pastor at, and one of these businessmen that was nearing retirement, he'd been a former um, board or like council person, he got out dressed in his suit, going to church, and he's like, well, we are certainly paying our youth pastor too much, we're going to have to look at taking some of your money away. That is a spirit of poverty too. See, 
Poverty judges the cars, the homes, and the possessions that other people have. And I've done it too. Poverty also has two ugly cousins, envy and jealousy. They're not the same. I used to think they were the same. Jealousy looks at something and says, I want what you have, and it kind of makes me mad. Envy actually makes me sad because I don't think I can get what you have, so I just don't want you to have it either. Both come from a spirit of poverty. If we want to resist and avoid a spirit of poverty, we need to stop learning our theology from the world or politics, any politics, and start learning it from the Bible. When Judas complained about Mary's extravagant gift, it says, in reality, his comments were motivated by pride, by greed, because he was this thief and he didn't care about others. He just wanted to take for himself. I just love how I'm like, why couldn't you do that all the time, you know, Mr. Bible writer? I love how you put that in, John, just in case I wasn't sure. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money, he would use it to help himself for what was put in. See, money is not evil. Money isn't even the root of all evil. First Timothy tells us that money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not just money in itself. I think another way we can resist and avoid the spirit of poverty is to understand the difference between fair and equal. For example, LeBron James, James Harden, and Stephon Curry all dribble the basketball, shoot the basketball, and can dunk the basketball better than I can. Okay? And they all make way more money than I do. Or Tiger Woods and I, we might share the same birthday. Yes, we do. But we don't share the same financial situation. And um, Taylor Swift was the 2019 American Music Awards winner, Artist of the Year. I wasn't. She can sing, play the guitar, and make music videos better than I can, even though I've tried. Maybe you'll find out when I turn 50. It's a long way off, people. But she gets paid more than I do, too. I don't think that's fair. Or maybe it's actually fair. It's just not equal. Because I may not agree, and you may not agree, with the way that those people all live, but they all do have talents that are world-class. And they get a whole lot of money for that world-class talent. We can't confuse what is fair with what is equal. If you're a parent of more than one child, I hope you know this. I had a mom of three teenagers come into my office when I was a youth pastor and say, I just don't get why my kids are not turning out all the same. I mean, I treat them exactly the same. Well, do you really think they're the same? Well, of course they're not the same. No, I try to tell my kids, we will try to make things fair, but it will not be equal because you're not all the same. If we really want to mess with this one, we can look at Jesus' story of the parable of the talents, where he took the talent, the sum of money, the large sum of money from the one that had the least, that was entrusted with the least, took that away, gave it to the one with the most. 
that messes with me. I don't think it was equal. I don't think it was fair. And I don't think Jesus was or is advocating a system where the poor get poorer and the rich get richer. I just need to say that too. I think that story is more about faithfulness and management. It wasn't that the wealth was evil and it wasn't that the wealth was good. But it messes with me. So there's a spirit of pride in the land. There's a spirit of poverty in the land. But there is also a third one. We see it in Mary. It's the spirit of gratitude. It recognizes that wealth comes from God and is God's. Gratitude says, everything I do is an act of worship to God. It's an act of saying, thank you to my Lord Jesus. That's what Mary did. It's things like, thank you, Jesus, for giving me life and for giving me forgiveness and for giving me redemption and relationship with you. Thank you for giving me a mind and a body and a spirit and spiritual gifts and talents to be able to do and think the things that I'm able to do and think. And I want everything I do in my life to be a response to that. As I often have to tell me, I want my face and my whole being to be in sync with my relationship with God, that God does love me, and sometimes God even likes me. Gratitude breaks open very expensive bottles of perfume. It was six days before Passover when Jesus came back to Bethany. He had raised Lazarus from the dead, which, I mean, if you're going to have something happen to you with Jesus, that's pretty awesome. And a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And notice that Martha served, but Martha was not distracted by all her serving. Just Martha served. Lazarus was at the table, and Mary took a pint of Purinard, an expensive perfume, actually worth more than a year's wages, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped it with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, I'm not a perfume guy. I'm not really a cologne guy either. But I am a math guy. A year's wages. The median income in America is $52,145. I like to be a little precise. In Minnesota, it's even higher, but we'll just go with $52,000. So I want you to imagine $52,000 being thrown in the air. Uncle Benjamin's, I don't know, 520 of them. Except you can't pick them up because, oh, sorry, <laughs> not big wads. Look, I'm not even done and I made it through the rows. I don't know if you can smell it yet, but you can't pick it up because it is perfume. And it was just poured on Jesus' feet. And feet were considered way unholy. 
always dirty. $52,000. Now, I'm not a perfume guy, but I, I'm smart enough to know that the expensive perfume is the really good perfume. The pure stuff lasts forever. And the fragrance, it said, filled the room. In fact, I mean, they didn't have airtight shutters. I wonder if it started to fill the neighborhood. I kind of wonder if the fragrance could still be smelled. This is a week before Passover and after Passover, right after Passover, Jesus was crucified and then he was put in the tomb. And then when Mary and the disciples went back to the tomb, I kind of wonder a week later if when Jesus wasn't there because he was raised from the dead, that Mary could still smell the perfume that she used to anoint Jesus' feet. That is an offering. That is a spirit of gratitude. Now, pride would say that is irresponsible. And poverty did say that is completely wasteful. You should have given that to the poor. But gratitude, gratitude says, leave her alone. What she did was a generous act of worship. She anointed me for the day of my burial. How do pride and poverty and gratitude hit your life? I'll tell you, pride hits mine when, when, I, when I say things or hear things like, oh gosh, we're not a real church because we don't have a building. But then poverty hits me on the other side and says, well, we shouldn't build a building because we need to use that money for real ministry. And then I have to say, wait, wait, gratitude says that it's all about God and about what he is doing in this group of people. And if God is moving us to having a building where we, people can meet Jesus and grow in their faith and discover how to live for him, then that might be okay. How does it hit you? If somebody comes into your home and says, oh, what a lovely home, pride would say, oh, we're upgrading. Don't worry, we're building a bigger one. Poverty would say, oh, it was a foreclosure. But gratitude would say, thank you. Or if you have a nice car and someone says, wow, nice car. Pride would say, you should see the other two in my heated garage. Poverty would say, it's company car. But gratitude would say, thank you. Do you want to drive? When you think about your situation, pride says, oh, I deserve more. Poverty says, I should feel guilty about what I do have. Gratitude says, I'm blessed by God. Whether I have little or much, I'm blessed. So Robert Morris, again, in his book, The Blessed Life, wrote, it's not about how much we have that matters, but about whose it is. Mary understood that gratitude requires us to live in such a way as to say thank you to God. When you go out to eat and you get really good service, do you leave a really good tip? That'd be gratitude. 
If you're a manager and your employees do really well and you reward them, that would be gratitude. When someone in your family does something really well and you respond with generosity, that would be gratitude. Obedience, generosity, and excellence are just natural outcomes of gratitude. They're offerings that we make to God for who he is and what he's done. And again, for most of us, we get to choose who we're going to be. Most of us have a choice with which spirit we interact and live in. We can choose pride, we can choose poverty, or we can choose gratitude. We can be Martha, we can be Judas, or we can be Mary. And I'm trying to be Mary. Not worrying about doing it perfectly, but saying, God, everything I have in my life comes from you. And I love you, and I want to worship you. pray with me. God, we believe that you are a good and perfect father that longs to give good gifts to your children. I pray that you would protect us from a spirit of pride, that you'd protect us from a spirit of poverty, and that Holy Spirit, you would increase a spirit of gratitude in us, that it would just overflow through us, that obedience and excellence and generosity would be natural outcomes of that. God, that we would invest in your kingdom and in your causes with grateful hearts everywhere we go, that it would be obvious and a sweet fragrance to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.